Well, good morning, church. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. So today we are finishing up our sermon series on the parables that Jesus taught, uh, told as he taught about the principles of God. Jesus used these parables or short stories to unfold the deeper principles of faithfulness and fruitfulness. And throughout these stories, Jesus is teaching about God's love and his grace, reminding us that God is always at work in the little things and in the big things, that he's always moving and making room. He's always growing things into fruitfulness, always hiding away treasures in places we don't think to look, always giving us opportunities to increase our investment, to enlarge our reach, to be more about the things of God in our everyday lives, always reminding us of the importance of loving people to Jesus and being ready for his return. And so today we're going to look at two parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan and the parable of the rich fool. And we find these parables in the book of Luke, and they're separated by a few chapters, but the messages have some common themes, so we're going to look at both. Let's start out with Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 34. Scripture says this. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So you're probably familiar with this parable because it's one of the more commonly known and taught parables in Scripture. And it's important to understand that the Samaritan people were not commonly held in high esteem by the Jewish people. They didn't interact. They didn't get along. They were from two different worlds. And so we presume that this man who was robbed was a member of the Jewish community, and we would expect that the priest and the Levite would have been the logical and socially acceptable people to help this man, but they didn't. And we really don't have any good indication as to why they didn't. We just know that they didn't help him. And the term Good Samaritan has come to be known as a person who steps in to right or wronged, giving little thought to personal cost, simply trying to, to help, to meet a need, often in an extraordinary way. And so on the surface, this seems like a pretty easy parable to understand. And, and we tend to concentrate on the Good Samaritan and, and praise the goodness of his actions and remind ourselves to be more alert and willing to be Good Samaritans ourselves. But as I sat down to write this message, God showed me a different perspective of this parable. He kind of showed it to me like this. In many ways, this is a picture of the church. 
the collection of God's people, the faithful followers, the, the worldwide body of believers, the fellowship, the church. And as we walk together in this life, as we live and love and grow and, and, and stumble and, and get back up and succeed and, and experience joys and pains and challenges and transformation, all the things that go with doing life together, we'll often stumble across people who are hurting and helpless and hopeless and in need in many ways. So often, rather than being a safe place for people to struggle and stumble and grow and learn how to manage the difficulties in life, rather than being that hope and help that it should be, the collective church instead has come to be known as a place not where the wounded come to get well, but instead, so often the church has come to be a place where the wounds get torn open and multiplied instead of healed. And that's kind of the thing that was happening in the religious circles of Jesus' day. They were putting so much emphasis on being good and looking holy. And if you didn't fit into that mold, you couldn't be in the fellowship. Sadly, the same kind of thing still happens so much in our day. People feel like, like they have to get their lives all together before they can come to church because, well, that's where all the holy people hang out. So what happens is that many people will never, ever come into a fellowship of believers because they, the truth is they'll never be able to get their lives together without the presence of God in their hearts, yes? The church, represented in this parable by the priest and the Levite, should have been the ones to respond to the man in such great need, but they both walked by pretending not to see him. You see, the truth is that helping people can sometimes get messy, and it's easier just to steer clear, and too often that's what God's people do. Not, not always. Like, we don't steer clear when we see physical bleeding or trauma or disaster or homelessness, but when it comes to the messy, everyday things in life, like divorce and disappointment and confusion and failure and changing careers and adjusting to new things and coping with losing things and people in our lives. Everyday struggles in relationships and families and finances, the messes of everyday life. It is in those places that we don't always do well to respond as the people of God. And if we were to be honest, the truth is that we all walk around in the mess of everyday life doing all we can just to keep it together enough that no one else sees that we are broken and hurting and hoping for relief, hoping to make sense of it all, hoping to numb the pain and just get through to the other side. And among the people of God should be where we find a safe place to do all of that. But so often, it's not. You know, I can't even begin to tell you the number of people who have entered into my life through the door of a church, people who were broken and hurting and helpless, people that I have walked with through those tough times, those difficult transitions, and they come to the other side of the situation and they slowly disappear from the fellowship of believers because they worry that the church isn't the place where they can get a new start. They worry that their brokenness will always be what defines them among that fellowship and that they will never be valued and given opportunities that they need to grow and to serve. And the truth is that too often the people of God that should be loving and forgiving and helping and forgetting are the ones who are hating and accusing and com complicating and, and judging 
And that's just not the way that God intended for us to be. Amen? In this parable, it is not the ones who should be helping that are helping. Instead, the help comes from the most unlikely place. The one who should be the enemy becomes the friend. It is the Samaritan that brings comfort and help and not the church. And that very same thing is happening in our day too. Hurting people are turning away from the church and turning to the world. And in the world, they are receiving some measure of comfort and help and hope without judgment and condemnation. And they're not finding these things through the people of God or the principles of God, but in the things of the world, which have a way of producing a false sense of security and help. Things of this world never really satisfy in the long term, but they can fill a need in the short term. Too often, it is the people in this world who don't even know Jesus and don't have a trust in the things of God who are offering love and acceptance and instruction and hope to wounded people. In many ways, the world is busy trying to bind up the broken while the church is busy debating and discussing and worrying about things that don't bring transformation and healing and life. And that is not the way that God intended for it to be. God's plan is that his people would be willing to get messy and step out of our own way long enough to point to Jesus and just love each other and speak good and God and healing and hope into each other's lives. I think that the parable of the Good Samaritan is less about the great lengths that the Samaritan went to help another fellow human being and more about how little the church did to help bring the love of God, the peace of Jesus, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit to someone who is clearly in need of compassion and mercy. And each of us need to let God speak to our hearts about the reality that while we want to be like the Good Samaritan, the truth is too often we become like the priest and the Levite. And people are turning toward the things of the world and not to the things of the church to find healing and relief. But the thing is that as Christ followers, we know the one who is the source and strength of life. We know that even when we stumble in all the messiness of life, that hope and help and healing are found not in the world, but in the God who holds the world in the palm of his hand. We know the one who is the answer. So let us be faithful ambassadors to the message of the love and grace and mercy of the blood of Jesus that brings us into intimacy with God and makes us new and gives us strength and, and helps us to stand strong through the seasons of life. I'm getting so excited here, spitting all over myself. See, we need to do something to make the church more a place of refuge and hope for the hurting. We need to do that globally, and we need to do that locally. We need to do something to make this church more a place of refuge for hope and help. And so how do we do that? Well, I think it starts by each one of us taking responsibility for our own spiritual progress. Striving to learn more every day about the things of God. Reading our Bibles regularly. Spending time in prayer. Growing closer to Jesus and asking God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And to help us to see how we can be more loving and forgiving and grace filled. 
You see, because there really is no substitute for your own personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus wants you to grow to maturity in your faith. And as mature believers, we are better able to stand strong through the ups and downs of life as we cling to the truth and the reality of God's love and grace and presence in our lives. And that doesn't mean that we will escape the ups and downs because there will be times when we will be weak. Thank you, brother. We will need help. We will be hurting. We will need others to help build our faith and love us in practical ways and encourage us and bless us. And as the strength and peace of God carries us through till we're strong again, and then as we grow stronger, we are better able to help others. As we grow to maturity, we're better able to manage the things that life throws at us because we're better able to operate in God's strength and not in our own strength. And we have a responsibility for our own spiritual growth, our responsibility to seek after God and take advantage of the opportunities that are placed before us to learn more about him and to serve in his name. And I think that's where it starts because you cannot give what you do not have. We cannot help others come to know Jesus in real and powerful ways if we personally don't know Jesus in real and powerful ways. We can't teach others to pray and grow and serve if we are not praying and growing and serving. We have to have the principles of God living and working in our own lives before we can reach out and help others learn to walk in his ways, yes? And I truly believe that if the worldwide church is going to become more a place of refuge and hope for the hurting, if this church is going to become more of a place of refuge and hope for the hurting, it will be because as individual Christ followers, we are striving every day to grow to maturity in our faith, looking for opportunities to bless and to serve and to pray and to lead and to live like God is real and that Jesus is Lord of our lives, yes? And when we walk more and more in the presence of God, then we can see things more like Jesus sees things. We can respond in different ways that are more in step with the mercy and grace of God, reaching out to love people in real and practical ways that they might find help and hope in the things and in the people of God, and that we might earn the opportunity to share with them about who Jesus is about how he is willing to enter the messiness of this life to become the sacrifice that was needed to make a way for us to live in this wide, open, spacious place of forgiveness and love and grace. It starts with you and me being for real about loving Jesus and living our lives like he matters and makes a difference, yes? Let's flip over real quick to our second parable, Luke chapter 12. This is from uh, verse 13 through 21. The parable of the rich fool. Scripture says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge and arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. 
Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So here's what I see in this parable. It's not so much about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You see, your life is not defined by what you have. He who dies with the most toys still dies. The rich man's land produced a good crop, so good that he didn't have enough storage space for all his grain and all his goods. And instead of putting those things to work for some good, he tore down the barns he did have and he replaced them with bigger ones. He put his security and his identity in things that he had saved up for himself and for his own satisfaction, only to find that his opportunity to enjoy those things was already over. And all that he had done and all that he had worked for gave him only fleeting moments of satisfaction. You see, security and peace in this life is not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. This man gathered things up, pulled things to himself. His heart was not generous. It was greedy, always looking for his own gain, his own well-being, his own security. And when we pull things toward us and close our hands in fear and let greed be in control of our hearts, what we're really doing is pushing God out of the equation. Jesus goes on in this text to tell the disciples some of the most profound realities of this life. He says this, then Jesus said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor and spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about that. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief can come near and no moth can destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, more and more, every day as we draw closer to God as we walk out our faith in the messiness of life as we travel on the road of spiritual maturity this is what we have to strive to understand and to become to get to this place that we really come to see and know that God is our source that God is our supply 
that he is the giver of all good things in this life. And as we come to know him more, as we learn to walk in closer fellowship with him, as we lean on him more and more, we will become more like God created us to be. Not fearful and clutching and striving and worrying, but walking with assurance. Living our lives in such a way that we do not miss the opportunities for joy and peace and blessing and hope that God has given us in this day, in these moments. For they quickly pass away and we think there'll be plenty of time, but there isn't. You see, life is precious, and, and these are the days of opportunity that we have been given to be people who are always rich toward God, who are willing to pour out what we have been given to be instruments of blessing in the kingdom, that we may come to know Jesus more and that we may help the people around us to come to know him more. For life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, but in the outpouring of the heart and in the joy and trust and gratitude for who God is and how he loves us and supplies all our needs and brings wholeness to our lives. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let us be found to be people whose hearts are deeply rooted in the things of God, who invest all we have in him as we walk in obedience to the one who makes sense of our messes and holds us in his keeping, who clothes us more beautifully than the grass in the field, the one who speaks life into dead places and fills our broken hearts with songs of deliverance, the one who is faithful and generous and strong and true, the one who is the name above all names, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, the light of the world, the blessed redeemer, the Lord of all. And to him be glory and honor forever and ever and ever. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for this day, for the opportunity that you give us to come into the fellowship of believers, for the opportunity that you give us to worship together, for the opportunity that you give us to come around your word, for the truth that you bring us in your word. And God, we would have to admit that sometimes, sometimes we don't like to read the word because it does convict us. It's like holding up a mirror in our faces and seeing the impurities that we think we didn't have but as we read your word, we begin to listen to the Holy Spirit reveal the things in our hearts and in our actions. Sometimes that's hard to take. God, so often, rather than having the, the courage to dig into your word and to, and to consider these realities, we'd rather run away from your word. We'd rather put your word on the shelf and, and carry it around but never open it because we do know that your word is truth and life, and we do know that your word reveals the places in our hearts that are not of you. Places where in our hearts we're, we're chasing after our own selfish gain, we're chasing after our own uh, 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 intentions, our own pleasure, our own comfort. But God, we thank you that you've given us your word, that the, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us through your word and helps us to see that there is a better way than what we know in this life. 
As your word is so often upside down from the world. The world says to give, but your, your, your word says to give. That's where happiness comes. God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to have the courage to dig in to your word, to be willing to hold that mirror up to our hearts and allow you to speak that you might help us grow closer to you, that you might help us to, to, to be more like you, that you might help us to be more instruments of love and peace and grace, not for our own gain, but that so, so that we might point others to you, that they too might find life and hope and truth in you. God, we thank you. We thank you for this day, this opportunity. Even in the midst of, uh, of difficult times and places that we might find ourselves, we still have the opportunity to dig deeper into you, to learn more of you, to know more of you, and to let more of you be known in our lives. God, we thank you for you are a good God. We thank you and we praise you for all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.